You're now listening to the Something Good Podcast Network. Please press any key to continue. A new chapter this morning in the battle against Ebola. Nickelback are back. The multi-platinum band has just announced a new album and a North American summer. Until you see the flaming butthole, you ain't seen nothing yet. Something good for ya. Everybody and welcome to this week's episode of the Something Good For You podcast, where the two of us sift through the bullshit to try to find a little something good to give you each and every single week. And as always, I'm one of your two co-hosts, Alex Stiff, and sitting beside me this week is Captain Nunn. What's going on? And we're continuing our quarantine Skype Zoom series, whatever, <laughs> rolling through our Rolodex and calling up friends that we haven't been able to get in person yet. This week, we've got the badass guitarist himself brad rubbers thank you welcome sir how's it going <laughs> we're supposed to see, be seeing each other in person when was that about a month ago now at this point y'all were supposed to roll oh, through God. charlotte it's already been that long yeah geez yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that was gonna be fun uh satanic panic was uh gearing up getting ready for a tour and then the stupid bullshit happened and here we are now <laughs> yeah hopefully we all three of us live to work and uh rock another day <clears throat> by staying I'm still, home i'm i'm still hoping july the weekend of july 27th is still something to look forward to over at uh over in west virginia yeah that's the, the plan hopefully we can rebuild the tour around those dates but i haven't even been touching it just because do you, do you know how long this is going to go no it's it's hard to decide whether you want to book or now i've seen <clears throat> online just small clubs are doing things here and there like beginning the beginning of august but even that's not guaranteed exactly <clears throat> yeah and it's like um our home venue the milestone uh we had a record release show booked there and you know shortly after having to cancel he sent me a message going hey you know give me a week or so you know send me a message we'll get you rebooked i even gave him like a month lead time just so he can uh, get everything settled and i hit yeah. him up about a week ago and i still hadn't heard anything so it's like and i don't blame him but at the same time it's just like that's even the state of that where it's like well, that's everybody too even our town is just kind of looking at it going we we don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah <clears throat> so I, i'm just trying to hang out and trying to support the venues here like and yeah. the liars club swag that i'm i'm repping <laughs> yes uh, just kind of digging around and trying to write new tunes but having mixed success with that i was gonna ask about that because i was gonna say how have you been holding up through all of this uh a lot of a lot of drinking a lot of <laughs> home. <clears throat> but a lot of writing too it sounds like trying i've been i've been brushing up on my lead work that's fallen behind since I've been on the road and playing so many shows the last three years. Yeah. I haven't had a chance to keep up on, on a lot of my lead work. So I've been sitting down and going back to basics with that and getting my fingers back in shape <clears throat> between two bands and a work schedule. It's just kind of hard to have practice time at home when you can, because you just want to unwind from all of it. Exactly. Like, so I would just end up sitting on the couch and watching movies and playing games instead of, you know, hopping right back into the woodshed. And man, it's, it feels like everyone's kind of going through that. It's like with my work schedule right now, they've got me, it, it sounds convoluted as hell. It makes better sense when you're actually looking at it on uh, paper, but they've got me working three on three off. And then, uh, 
it, they've got and then it's like 12 hour shifts so it, at some point i'm basically working seven days straight with like one day off in the middle <laughs> and right. then i've also got like another seven days off but then i'll work for like four hours in the middle of that so they've got me working this fucked up work schedule to to the point where it's like by the time i start feeling rejuvenated and ready to start working on my personal projects again i gotta go right back into fucking work seven to seven <laughs> yeah i know uh Adam, the bass player, has been having a funky work schedule, and he's he's in healthcare, so he right still oh, wow. is working. Um, but now he's doing one week on, one week off furloughs. Oh, so, wow. <clears throat> what kind of medical work does he do? He does um, radiology imaging. Oh, so he's pretty much in the thick of it at this point. Yeah, <clears throat> but he's doing okay. Yeah, he's not sick. He he works at a children's hospital, so they were like one of the first ones that locked down. Okay. And I think he works on like the some special type of ward, but not around the uh, COVID patients. Right. Gotcha. Well, that's good. At least he's definitely staying out of harm's way the most he can, but still, you know, staying on the front lines and helping those that need it. So that's awesome. Yeah. And no, it's uh, it, it does feel like all the creatives, it, we're, we're all going through waves. It's like when it first happened, everyone was like, fuck yes, I've got all that time I've been needing to get all my shit done. And then it's like a week into it, everyone was like, oh, fuck. Well, now it's all done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I, don't, I, don't mind, I don't mind working through this. I'm still working a normal schedule, but, and I don't mind that I have to, I get, I get an extra couple hours of not having to commute to work every day. Yeah, but, right you know, staring at the same four walls, kind of, you kind of get a bit stir crazy, especially people who like us who travel and are like live no to be, be moving. The, the, not only that, the thing that's been affecting me is I need that sonic energy of band practice. I need that loud bass feel. I need to feel it in my gut. It's like, even if I'm not going out and playing shows, it's like at least having band practice and feeling that sonic energy in the room. It's just, it's therapeutic, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I luckily can pop up to our rehearsal space and, you know, still get the thump of a full Marshall half stack roaring right. at 100 watts. But we've been laying low on band practice just because of Adam's job. If he gets sick or right. he brings it to us, it's kind of we're starting to get to the point, though, where we're like, maybe maybe we can just kind of sneak it in and. Have yeah, a quick, we're, quick rock session. We're yeah. we're kind of skirting that line too. It's like the original reason we weren't even doing it. We we just have a, a storage unit, um, but yeah. our drummer lives about maybe forty five minutes to an hour away, and our lead guitarist lives about forty minutes away. Oh yeah. So it's like that's a lot of traveling between them and everything else. And then, it, so it, it was just one of those situations of like, yeah, y'all just lay low. But literally today I sent a message in the group chat being like, yo, y'all want to come over next week and just hang out in the living room and have a living room jam. <laughs> we, we got some new stuff we've been finally working on. Cause our creative juices came like flowing out. Like when we realized we were going to be cooped up and not playing shows for at least a few months, we we're like, all right, well I got this idea and I got this idea and just tried them out and just started throwing things against the wall and just, Go but again, but I there. hit that wall recently of just like, oh, God, I'm done. I, know it. I, <laughs> was yeah, telling, it. I was telling him I was going to a friend of mine's place to go get something. And it was the first time I'd driven to anywhere other than my office, Harris Teeter, or my place <laughs> in about a month already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I went for a drive yesterday after I'm on my way out to my rehearsal space. I'm like, fuck it. I'm just going to drive out, out of the city for a hot minute and then just blasted some old tunes got some 
ideas of things to practice. Like I said, I, I hit the creative wall pretty fast because I'm so used to writing at practice. Mm -hmm. I'm not very, I've lost a lot of my, my ability to write by myself because of, you know, constant touring, constant shows. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's, I just started picking up like woodshed things like, okay, this is, this is the stuff that made me want to play guitar and play lead guitar. So I'm going to go back and work on those things. Right on. What was that? Well, I was going to say, I think that's a perfect lead in. So um, I think we've griped and bitched <laughs> enough about, you know, what's kind exactly. of currently going on. Let's kind of move on to start talking about some positive shit. So being the badass guitarist you are, which is the first thing that immediately drew me to you. Uh, first <clears> time seeing you was in Gunpowder Gray. And seeing your solos and shit, I was just like, holy fuck. And it wasn't even necessarily the amount of notes or any of that, but it was the attitude in which you played it. I noticed that sort of shit. It's like, I would, <laughs> I would rather have, you know, an A chord that cracks my ribs than, you know, a bunch of little noodly notes that, you know, just clutter your brain. So that was the first thing that really drew me to you. So what were those early inspirations that got you to pick up the guitar? So, I mean, as most 14 year old boys do, I, I picked it up with, with Metallica, but mm -hmm. I was more drawn less or more drawn to their more melodic side of things. Like I, I've never, I honestly, I will, I am not a fan of Justice for all like <laughs> after that, but I, I, I'm a huge fan of their, their work in the nineties. That's really melodic and really songwriter quality. So you were a, a load reload. Fan. Yeah, I really enjoy Ooh, it. Controversial, <laughs> right? <laughs> Lord of mercy. <laughs> I, I, but I think that comes with being uh, having a mature attitude towards music is you can enjoy okay. things for uh, for what they're worth. And if it, if you don't like it, you don't like it. That's fine. That like I know there's. Sorry, <clears throat> go ahead. Uh, it, like I'm not a fan of a lot of like a lot of metal. Like I don't care for Slayer for for one point, but. I understand it and I just, just don't listen to it. Um, but then, yeah, all of that Metallica songwriting stuff uh, got me chops and everything, but it didn't get me the songwriting. And for some, something I think I discovered, I bought uh, the Guns N' Roses greatest hits mm. and contraband by Velvet Revolver right around oh, the same time. Hell yeah. And then, was That's it the what, uh, was it the greatest hit CD that was like the silver yep. cover? I know exactly which I had one. that one too. I picked it up too. Yep. <laughs> That's what I grabbed, and. That's when the, the the whole slash thing that is still to this day like an obsession that holds. You definitely uh, have a that, slash vibe with your lead <laughs> style. And that's that's what picked it up, and that's what made me stay on the guitar is learning that, as well as like a handful of blues players like. Stevie Ray Vaughan and Buddy Guy are two big influences on my early guitar sound and still my sound now. Like my vibrato is total, got a total Stevie Ray Vaughan flavor to it. Really you know, wide, heavy handed <clears throat> vibrato. But through a Les Paul and a Marshall, and it's awesome. I was going to yep. say, I would have never made those connections I until you just now mentioned it, but I'm hearing <laughs> some of the solos and stuff. I'm like, holy shit, he's, he's right. That's. Yeah, I, I like, and that's why I like hearing about the early stuff. Is sometimes that stuff you just don't expect to really hear, and I like that. And then the the last one that really it plays in the same kind of of uh, vein as the Buddy Guy Stevie Ray Vaughan stuff is, of course, Billy Gibbons has been the the biggest one. But that one, it, it was strange. I would never call my if you asked me this question five years ago, I wouldn't have said Billy Gibbons as a huge influence. But 
the further and further I, I grow and I'm like, I remember like listening to a ton of ZZ Top in high school alongside ACDC, Guns N' Roses. Right. <clears throat> but for some reason, like that just made an imprint on me. Even though I wasn't sitting learning ZZ Top songs, just his play style, his attitude towards the guitar came through. He had <clears throat> the best tone. You could take any piece of shit guitar through like any piece of shit amp and he had the, the best tone ever still. Yep. I was going to say, he was a pretty good uh, influence on you too. One. Oh yeah, Billy Gibbons. He might be my favorite guitar player ever. Yeah. Because of that. He's he's a, a in a dead neck and neck with with Slash and obviously like Nick Anderson of the oh, helicopters. Yeah. Like I've started Nick Anderson slowly started creeping up there as one of my favorite guitar players. Like hearing just the different stuff he's been a part of, I'm just like, holy mm-hmm. shit, that guy is just wicked talented. And then like the other weird thing that influenced me is I started sneaking into bars when I was 17 and 18 and playing oh, yeah. in blues jams. <laughs> Oh, hell oh, that's yeah. so like, fun. <clears throat> you know, these old, for the most part, it was just old, old dads looking to get out and play songs. But then there were a couple guys that were like lifelong bluesmen. And there was this drummer that I worked with. He, <clears throat> he organized the jam sessions and he was, he was awesome. And he just kind of pointed out new music to play and taught me how to, you know, hold down a shuffle, <laughs> how to play at <laughs> standards, things like that. Uh, that a 19 year old metalhead and rock and roll kid might not know. And like those things influenced and got me to keep playing guitar because I mean, I grew up in a larger, larger town. Mm-hmm. Like I grew up in between Milwaukee and Chicago, okay. but the, the music scene in that part of Wisconsin is absolute trash. Like there's nothing, there's no venues to, to play at. Like there's no, no place like the milestone. Yeah. Not even Madison or anything like that. Any of the uh, larger cities. Well, Madison and Milwaukee have good venues, but outside of those cities, there's really That's nothing. About it. <clears throat> well, did Chicago always have a big? Uh, was it always a decent home for like just full on rock and roll kind of stuff, whether it's metal or like traditional or anything, anything of it, that nature? There was a good scene like early 2000s. Like my good buddy Johnny Water played yeah. in the Las Vegas, and they kind of spearheaded that that side of the rock and roll scene in the early 2000s. And of course you go back to the nineties and you got smashing pumpkins and Liz fair and all of that stuff. They actually right. lived in that neighborhood. And I funny about that. <clears throat> like there's a weird piece of history that my downstairs neighbor gave to us about my apartment. Um, she's lived in this building for 70 years. She was born in this building and she's lives in the bottom unit, but she said that, Oh, there's this guy who was in a band in the '90s. He played in this uh, this band like Pumpkin Smashing or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> and That's it, awesome. And it ended up being their original lead guitarist that was fired right before they hit it big. Oh God, <laughs> damn! <laughs> so she's like, "Yeah, he was he was real depressed for a while." <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> The Pete Best of Chicago just missing his I big was, chance. I was trying to think of the name. I was like, God. Well, yeah, that's the that's the thing. It was it was Chicago has an extremely rich history, and I still haven't right. made it out to the 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 standards. Like, there's this blues club called Kingston Mines that everybody goes to for jams and just to watch the local blues superstars play. Mm-hmm. I haven't gotten there yet because it's kind of out of my neighborhood, and like you said, you're constantly touring, and you you just like to go to home base, which is liars club yeah dude you'll probably like, blow their minds because like they'll have like versions of that here in charlotte and like 
we're like between Alex and myself, we're the only kind of guys that play rock guitar like that. So it's like you might be like the one guy out of like a zillion metal shredder wannabes in Chicago. I'll just like impress everybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So but, what was the, what was the first band you were in that really got you like your touring chops? And do you remember how old you were? I was a definite late bloomer on that right. side of things. Like I didn't join my first band until I was nineteen. That and it was yeah, that makes sense. <clears throat> and it was with some old dudes and like we just it was like a basement thing i wrote songs we played them we played some covers uh and then i was in a string of of other bands actually the first one i played in was i was 18 we had band practice in a barn (laughs) (laughs) nice (laughs) with with some people i knew from high school and like it didn't really amount to much because the drummer would just get so wasted every single practice. Oh, like there, there was one, he would just show up with a handle of Captain Morgan and a two liter of Coke and plow through and plow through most of that handle in over the course of three hours. Wow. And one of the practices we had, he was in the middle of drumming. I can't remember what song it was. It might've been uh, like an Oasis tune or a Tom Petty tune, but he was drumming and he drumming and he slowly falls out of the back of his, drum thrown and onto the floor you just see a, a cloud of dust poof up and <laughs> like all right guess band practice is done <laughs> <laughs> wow <clears throat> what, what was what was the style of music you were playing at that time it, it like southern rock like we right. didn't really do originals we were just playing cover tunes we played some skinner we played some uh molly hatchet and marshall nice. tucker band um, just some just an excuse <clears throat> to play all the lead guitar parts over yeah, we had three guitar players and hell oh, yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> Southern rock is shit. <laughs> and, and we played we played somebody's uh we played uh a barn party for our first and only show on a flatbed trailer. Oh, that's Southern Rock as fuck. <laughs> yeah. But uh I left that because I ended up going to school. This was like the summer between high school and college. Okay. Right? And what I just wound up uh, going guys. to college for. Um, oh shit, a lot of things. Like at first, was doing athletic training because I played sports and I liked sports. It was easy. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Then teaching and then marketing. Now I'm like, marketing is the day job, <clears throat> but it does afford me a level of freedom that I wouldn't have had in any other career. Where like you guys saw me, like I would get, I would be up until three in the morning, just shooting the shit with gunpowder guys, and then be up at it. seven in atlanta georgia too and you're based out of chicago yeah so i just just it gives me that level of freedom where i can actually be on the road trust me i'm working my way that way too i'm partnering up with someone and i've been honing that's one of the reasons i was saying give me a second i'm waiting for something to export i'm working on a video right now so it's like i'm trying to get into the social media marketing along with audio and video editing that way it leaves me that time that way on those long band rides if i've got some podcasts to edit for someone it's like yo leave me alone put my headphones in work on my laptop for a little while it's like boom I'm no need to just sit there and stare out the window while everyone else is sleeping. I can get some work done. And that's how I toured with gunpowders. Like I was sitting in the back working on my laptop while someone else was driving or sleeping. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, I'm about to ask uh, what prompted uh, the decision to join gunpowder gray and travel to Atlanta on a <laughs> semi-regular basis. Uh, that was, that's like a weird long, but fun story. So <laughs> we got down, <laughs> we got, we, we got a call 
my my other band this kind of ties back to like the first band that got me into shows and that was my first well second chicago band okay (laughs) okay the first one i was kicked out of because i wanted to play too much loud rock and roll lead guitar and he wanted to move more in a folk direction which uh you know what they say you made the right choice (laughs) You do you, sons, times and shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> you do you, boo. <laughs> that's, that's how I felt about it. But I uh, ended up, uh, my band, they were called Smoke Number 7. Um, okay. Kind of like a more like southern-ish, loud rock and roll. It's It was hard to pin down. We wrote a lot of good songs that were not recorded well. And <clears throat> like I just wasn't happy with how they turned out for whatever yeah. reason. Um, but I really enjoyed the time, but we did get a lot of experience playing shows in Chicago. Um, but we got a call from the venue Cobra lounge actually, uh, about Bro. a week. <clears throat> like it was like a Friday or a Saturday and they said, Hey, we got this band coming through, um, on a Monday night. We can't, we don't, we can't find anybody to play. And we had just played the day before we played on a Sunday, Sunday night for some record release or something. <clears throat> We get a call and they're like, hey, we need a band to show up. We can't find anything. So all of like the regulars that would play and bring a crowd weren't available. So we're like, all right, cool. We'll play we'll play a Monday night, <clears throat> which was a strange occurrence because the drummer works in film and he constantly is working. Like, oh, you only could play Saturday nights. Yeah. Pretty much. Unless there was like three months advance notice. So we get the call. We do it. Say, cool. Yeah, whatever. Play the show. Nobody shows up <laughs> except for the sound person. And a couple of our friends, like our singer's drunk-ass girlfriend and her friends, <clears throat> that's about <laughs> it. But the other band was Gunpowder Gray. Right. And we, Cobra Lounge is one of those rare venues in Chicago that actually has a green room. So we're upstairs drinking beer, shooting the shit for however many hours before it's showtime. And then we hung out afterwards just talking. Um, so then, you know, the show's over don't hear much about it but all of a sudden i get a facebook message from the one and only chris heffernan on facebook (laughs) right on (laughs) saying like hey uh this was like two two weeks after we played the show with them two or three weeks they said yeah um our guitar player just quit um but we still have two high profile shows coming up one in indianapolis and one in atlanta so they're like do you want to learn 13 songs and play those two shows with us just you know fill in for right now right <clears throat> and i learned the songs in two weeks they drove up to chicago we rehearsed in my rehearsal studio drove to indianapolis played a show i think it was with who was it with not savage master sacred leather oh, okay yeah <clears throat> i get those two mixed up <laughs> two very different bands (laughs) yeah uh but that night just because of how cool everybody was and i love the music obviously Mm -hmm. and it fits so perfectly for what i've been trying to do for so many years and it actually fired on all cylinders right and it was such a great feeling even just like never meeting these guys having one half rehearsal because in true gunpowder fashion they were late as fuck (laughs) <laughs> oh trust me we, we've we've had our run-ins and stories <laughs> like they told me uh they told me they would show up i think on a thursday night because the show was on saturday 
right. or maybe Friday night in Indianapolis, but the, the night before this, yeah, it was Thursday night. So they showed, they said like, yeah, we'll be there at like eight o'clock on Thursday night. They didn't get there until almost three. <laughs> wow. And, so like I basically got up, I went to bed at like 10 and slept until like one in the morning, woke up, met them at this uh, 5 a.m. punk bar called Exit. And we got a little bit, a little bit tipsy until they closed at 5 a.m., <laughs> drove to my rehearsal space, jammed in my rehearsal space until the hourlies opened at noon, had rehearsal, <laughs> and then drove to Indianapolis. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> no, I was gonna say that, that that gave me deja vu because I don't know if we've talked since this happened, but um, the whole uh, down south showdown uh, debacle that we ran into. Did we, yeah. have, we talk, have we talked to you since then on that? A, a little bit. I think I, I caught up with uh, James on this when we were at the rim. Yeah, just just the briefest we, rundown. We it was. I don't think we went a deep dive on or anything no, like we, that. No, I'm saving the deep dive. I finally found. I finally <laughs> found a purpose to do the deep dive with. But just just the briefest summary. We have very similar scenario. No no drummer. We weren't going to back out of the show. Um, Justin was like, "Yo, I can do it." <laughs> we we're like, "Word, dude!" He he sent us a fucking video of him playing "Hit the Gas" perfectly, like within an hour. And I'm like fucking shit yeah this is gonna be fucking great and plus you know we we have that hard rock vibe anyway so i'm like it's gonna be really interesting to see what his style is with our riffage you know because we had always kind of worked with drummers that have picked up the pace eventually but not someone that's like deep into it like he was so i'm like this is gonna be fun to see what these riffs sound like with him as a drummer (laughs) and uh, we eventually got to hear it um, at three o'clock in the morning uh, when we were told 10 at night. <laughs> and then we jammed until about maybe what, five o'clock five in the morning, something like that. Half the set too. Yeah, half of the set. Uh, then we finally got to crash out at maybe like 630 uh, with the idea of getting back at band practice at 12. Um, but then we get back. <laughs> no, where this is going. <laughs> but but then uh, that turns into um, about what three thirty again, three thirty yep. p uh, p.m. I think we shot. I don't know. Yeah, I think you showed up later than that. But any, I think it, yeah. It regardless, like we got through just enough time to play the second half of the set, and then for <laughs> us to look at our watch and go oh, fuck, doors are opening in like 15 minutes and we're the first band. We've got to go. (laughs) And then getting everything in the car, we had talked to Chase earlier that day, explained what happened, so we got bumped a second uh, because we were late. But um, And then the rest of the time was in the back with the set list going, okay, this is the song that does the... It's like, yeah, 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 I remember. Talk about the anxiety before stepping on stage, but miraculously... By the end of the set, I turned around and looked at everyone, and it's as if we had played together for the last year. Yeah, you just crushed it. It was it was mind blowing. Will we ever do it again? Probably not. <laughs> but it was mind blowing experience that we will never forget. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but looping around back to that, that yeah, yeah. Apple show. Those every, those guys are just so cool. Like Chris, absolutely, Chris and I had an instant musical connection. And just the two guitar players, he, we both have the same, the same idea of what kind of music we want to make. Um, Isn't that so gratifying when you get into a band and it's like another member is like in lock and step when you're just like, yes, (laughs) exactly. And then 
uh, Sam and I, of course, just instant buds because Sam's awesome. Sam's the best. Um, but yeah, and that's that's when I was like, cool. I'm gonna pl- I'm gonna play this out. I'm just gonna ride it out and see what happens. And yeah. then I did that Atlanta show, which is with with Biters, which was one of the greatest moments of my life because I had been listening to Biters for a few years before that. Was it the release show? Um, yes, I think. So it was. what, what show? That was your second show. That was my second show. We saw that. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were actually at that one. I, you, dude, could have thought you were in the band from day one. You did yeah. not seem like second show, dude. <laughs> but it was so awesome just meeting meeting and talking to uh, Gabs, Matt Gabs. Like, I had, I really liked his guitar playing on the Writers records, especially, uh, I forget the one, uh, Electric Blood, I think it's called. Yes. Yeah, <clears throat> I, I really loved those songs. And of course, Talks a Dynamite songwriter. I had but, the pink vinyl of it was like the all chewed up and uh, oh, electric blood was the second one. So I'm yeah. getting like the first EPs Like they sold the EPs, the first two as a uh, compilation record. Yeah. yeah. I think I got, I think I have all chewed up on vinyl somewhere in here. I can't remember. I found it at, at the local record store used someone had sold it, which bonehead move. But I haven't gotten around <laughs> to, to getting, picking up the rest of their, their vinyls. Um, but yeah, it was super cool meeting all that. And that's when that second show was when I was like, okay, 100%, I am going to make sure that I keep, I keep up with this and and see where it goes. I'll, I'll like, I'm going to hang around as long as they want me to. <laughs> no yeah. pun intended. Hang. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, but, but that's a, you know, shows. a pretty crazy move, you know, to basically join a band though, that's based out of Atlanta, you know, when you're in, you know, Chicago. Yeah. Um, I lucked out that Southwest is pretty awesome. Like mm. I haven't, I have enough money with my job and they're super flexible. Right. I mean, for fuck's sake, I showed up, like I got the call from, from them. I want to say like the second week of September mm. for a tour that started in mid October, <laughs> a week long tour. And I had, <laughs> I'd literally just started a new job and I had to be like, Hey, can I work remote for a week? <laughs> yeah, this job I've been at for a month. Can I work remote for a week so I can go on tour? And luckily they're like, yeah, for sure. Go on, go on like, that sounds kick-ass. <laughs> Good luck. And, and you know, uh, but the amount of people that I've met, like I want to give a big old shout out. To, I, if he even, he might listen to this, but, uh, but Bob from high spirits, mm-hmm. bass player, Bob, he, like I met him at, at that Indianapolis show and him and I have had, a continually growing friendship and working relationship. Like we're looking at bringing them on to produce any of the songs that we, we record in the near future. Um, But just the amount of people I've met since joining gunpowder gray and actually getting out has been like greatest thing I could ever ask for as a musician in my life. Like I met you guys through that. I've, I learned so much about, you know, how to tour, how not to kill myself on tour. (laughs) <laughs> how to 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 figure out a balance and how to just to make things happen because it was so difficult previously because I just didn't know and yeah, I yeah. I didn't hook up with the right people apparently until a little bit later. Um, I mean, luckily, man, we, we I feel you so much on that because we were in the exact same boat. It's like we we got um, introduced to the Atlanta scene through uh, they were at the time called the stir. Now they're called light machines. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrew was on our last episode and that's, that's who really kind of introduced us and brought us down to Atlanta and kind of welcomed us and showed us everyone. And, you know, Capitol is known to the biters. Um, 
And then when we when I met up with uh, Brad and Amy up at the rim, uh, they were big biters fans and they knew about gunpowder and all this other stuff. So it's like all of a sudden it's like within the span of like a few months, I started meeting that, a ton of people. The connections, the connections yes. that just show up from that. Oh, and actually the day before meeting Brad and Amy, well, technically the same night, but consciously remember meeting them the next day. But the reason I even got to do that was I rode up with Dirtbag Love Affair to play in Chicago to open for the cheats. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, and that was the first time seeing the cheats. And I had never played drums before. I am not a drummer. But mm -hmm. Tony, the vocalist, was like, dude, I need a solid I need a solid thinking he's going to ask me to play guitar because Devin had kind of been, you know, off and on, you know, not being able yeah. to, or maybe it was Davey, you know, maybe he wasn't able to get off work and he was like, I need you to do drums. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> and we had three practices and we was like, good enough. We're going. And yeah, drove up there, met Todd and all them for the first time. And then met Brad and Amy and hell, I do want to say a few weeks later is when we went to, or like a few months so. later yeah. is when we went to Atlanta and Brad and Amy showed up there and it was the biters release party. And then we they got to see there. you guys. Right. Yeah. So it's like, again, it was like all of a sudden we just stepped into the right crowd and it lifted us up a lot because we ran into the same issues of not being able to meet up with like-minded individuals, you know, yep. because there's absolutely nothing wrong with this statement, but Charlotte is very punk rock and metal oriented. There's yeah. not a lot of rock and roll bands. And again, that's not a negative, but for a rock and roll band, that's kind of hard to build up, you know, some really big sets or, you know, make the right kind of connections with, you know, like-minded individuals. It, yep. You wind up getting put on bills that, you know, half of the crowd is going to kind of go, what the fuck is this? You know, there's always going to be the eclectic few that, you know, is always going to enjoy it, but that's always a crapshoot. You know, you want to always, you want to join up with some people that really rock like gunpowder fucking gray. And later on, we'll talk about satanic panic, which is your brand new venture that, Holy fuck, just only three songs, and it's one of my favorite EPs, <laughs> period. It fucking rips, dude. Which we'll lead into, because um, shortly after seeing Gunpowder Gray and all that, all of a sudden, Satanic Panic pops up on the radar, and we're like, whoa, what the fuck is this? So why don't you tell us, Brad, what the fuck yeah. is Satanic Panic? <laughs> <laughs> so so like I had, had said before, like my my original like main Chicago band, they, I, I'm, I'm always... I'm a lot like Chris Heffernan. That's why I said we are very like-minded music-wise. I have an insatiable drive to keep playing music and to get out there and play shows. Like I'm not content to just tool around in the practice room and you know constantly tinker with songs. And <clears throat> I mean, in hindsight, I feel a little bit bad, but the original singer of that band, I pushed him so hard, and he was one of my great friends. And he i completely burned him out like he quit music for almost three years after like he just started getting back into music in the last year or so but i burned him out in i want to say like early 2017 and he just stopped wanting to play shows he stopped wanting to sing songs that he'd been singing for the past you know three years was it just the rigorous amount of touring and playing or trying to push himself to be a better songwriter or, you know, I think it was like, I constantly wanted to play more shows and he, he wrote a lot of very personal lyrics to things under these kind of dark rock songs. Mm -hmm. And it, he, he just, he just didn't like doing it. And, gotcha. you know, his, his 
tastes changed. He didn't want to play in a rock band. He wanted to work on just acoustic stuff. And my constant pushing to be like, okay, we we spent two thousand dollars to record this record and get it on CD. We gotta we gotta play shows. We gotta play shows. We gotta play shows. We gotta tour. Mm-hmm. We gotta go to Milwaukee. We gotta get out while we can because we always had like a short six week window when uh, our drummer was off of work. Like he basically had a summer vacation when they weren't shooting. So we we try and pack in as many shows into six weeks, but it just didn't end up working. But at the demise of that band, um, I had been living with Adam, the bass player. Oh, okay. So like we we've been writing stuff for the the other band, and we'd always go to this this rock and roll prison themed beer and burger bar called the Lockdown. That sounds and, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> like that's this is like this is a venue where I would spend my birthdays. I would show up, get hammered, eat a burger, hang out. And I ended up like getting to know a lot of the bartenders and the owner and stuff so much so that whenever I would show up, they'd put on this, um, I think it was like, it's like this video of the old VHS tape of uh, Guns N' Roses, like live at the Roxy or something. Oh yeah. It's, it's like on YouTube or something, but we, they put that on whenever I would come on and it would be every day on my birthday, I'd show up and we'd watch, we'd watch Motorhead, we'd watch, uh, the Guns N' Roses, and then later the, all of the helicopters videos. Sounds we like my kind on. of joint. <laughs> that sounds like the best fucking birthday. <laughs> but anyways, we found out that one of the bartenders that I w- always would show up when I knew he was working because we would just shoot the shit about music. He was fun, and he, that's Chris Stroof, the Satanic Panic drummer. So we talked about like, hey, let's just jam and join, like, see what happens. And I kind of like said the thesis of what I want to do. I was like, I want to have it be like a mix of motorhead, the helicopters, and just straight ahead. You see this TV, all these videos playing. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I had a, I've had a few riffs, like the last dying breath of that previous band um, was a direct kind of chip on my shoulder moment with the singer where he basically said, he's like, I don't want to play the songs we have anymore. So I sat down and I knocked out a new song in maybe like two, four hour sessions. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Just sat down at my desk. I came up with this, this melodic line and then built a song around the melodic line. And he, he didn't, he wasn't interested in it. So that's when I was like, okay, I got to start something different. And at this time I'd been, I'd been playing with gunpowder gray for six, seven months, but I'm like, this is just, I just need to do something here. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So lo and behold, that song became the trial. That's okay, on the EP. Okay. Yeah. And then I had I had riffs that I have had stored up from all these other Chicago bands that I've been kicking around with, and those songs became else. And we just we just hit it off. Like Adam and I would sit in the apartment and re- and write, and we'd drive up to our space and rent. We'd rent a uh, re- an hourly rehearsal room because there was only one drum set in our monthly rehearsal room. <laughs> So we would, uh, and it just kind of turned into something. And we got responses at shows that I have never gotten responses like in Chicago. Like people were singing our songs after the second time. We'd started seeing people showing up that we had met at our shows. It's not just your friends showing up. It's people right. that actually know about you. 
Well, I'll say this for, I mean, I've only gotten to see you guys once, uh, but from that time, I can say that you guys are an extremely tight three-piece. Like, when you listen to the record, anyone can sound good on record if you do enough, you know, messing with it. But live, you you guys almost have the Kiss syndrome, where Kiss, it's like their first few records didn't really capture their mm-hmm. true sound. It's like, your your EP captures the sound. But live, it is a completely different beast. The mixture between your tone and Adam's tone is a force to be reckoned with, man. And it's like, we've already boosted you up enough, enough of your shit talking. <laughs> Adam is a fucking great bassist. Yeah, he, he is. And uh, I've, I've told him the story. It's like, the funny thing is, is I met him. That first band that I was speaking to when we first started playing, mm-hmm. I basically found everybody on Craigslist. I just put out, the, <laughs> and, and they're all like my, some of my best friends now. Um, What's that say about Craigslist or your friends? <laughs> <laughs> we, we'll let we'll let history decide that one. Yes. But, <laughs> but the joke is, is I was putting together this band, and I had gotten a couple, like maybe four or five responses from bass players. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is, is I had mixed up Adam with another bass player. Like the music that Adam had sent through was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was terrible. He sent it through and I'm like, this is trash. And I mixed him up with another bass player and like, all right, I told Adam like, Hey, let's meet up. And we met it up. We hit it off. And he, he, he luckily ended up, like you said, he's an excellent, fantastic bass player. Initially you hired the wrong guy. (laughs) It sounded like exactly. But like then I found out like the reason that, that music was so terrible is apparently the guy that was the band leader of mm-hmm. that that other music. He found out later that the band leader re-recorded all of his bass parts and just oh. put the music out. So damn, like it was a stroke of pure luck that I, you know, probably drunkenly mixed up and just messaged <laughs> somebody because I would sit, I would sit and have me some gin and tonics and some whiskey. And answer mm-hmm. emails to all this shit while trying to put it together. And we, you know, that was in 2013. So yeah. seven years later, we're playing in this band. And I, he's a great writing partner. And he, he deals with my shit because I know I'm a very, sometimes I can be difficult. <clears throat> in what and, way, maybe? Let's <laughs> uh, well, we'll dig into that because I'm very difficult too. <laughs> I, have, I have vision. I have a vision and I tend to get blinders put on. So like Mm -hmm. when you have a vision of a song, you sometimes can get into a headspace where you can only hear your vision for better or for worse. Like something that you could be doing might not be beneficial to the song. And I get, I get defensive sometimes depends on my mood. (laughs) You know, some people call that control freaks, but that's how creatives are. (laughs) So (laughs) No, exactly. I get the, uh, it's I call it demoitis. You, you get used to listen yeah. to the phone demo over and over. You have the certain drum beat in your head. You have the certain yep. bass line in your head, and it's like it may be really, really close, but it's it's just that hair off, and it's fucking with you. Yep, <laughs> yep. <laughs> and like he also deals with me. Like you know, all creatives have trouble communicating too. So he deals with with me being tending to be an asshole when I like be like this part is wrong someone is playing this wrong we have to fix it Mm -hmm. and that's a big thing that i learned from 
playing in gunpowder is that discipline of being able to stop a song and be like, no, this is fucking wrong. You need to play it better or play yeah, it different. Because the, because the, the more you play it incorrectly, the more it's going to get ingrained. Yep. Exactly. And it's, it's only going to disservice the song and make you sound amateurish or whatever, just kind of take away from your overall presentation. We've actually had recent discussions as a band about that. And we kind of summed it up as uh, leave the ego at the door. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if enough people kind of go, you know, man, this isn't working, you know, we just got to step back and go, okay, well, what do you think? And, if, and at least shut up for a little bit, let everyone else hash it out some. Exactly. And if it still doesn't work because it was your song or your idea to begin with, you still get final say, but we're still going to hash it out for a little bit. We're going to fuck with it some, but if it doesn't work, fine. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just I think when we finally got to that level and just everyone's song was up for grabs of being able to tweak and modify a little bit, it it kind of it definitely helped the songwriting process. Yeah, always be uh, always jump ahead of everything. Just be like, if it sucks, just tell me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <clears throat> and honestly, and that's one of the great the great things about working with with Adam is like he's honest about things and he's willing to listen and more importantly, like willing to tell me that like be stubborn, just stubborn enough for me to realize what's going on and be like, yeah, <laughs> I might be doing something fucked up. <laughs> right. But if the fucked up thing kind of works and raises an eyebrow, then it's like, Ooh, let's work on that some. And then it'll uh, be more fun stuff. And that's, that's the rabbit hole that I'm still trying to figure out is I have, I have tendencies in my rhythm hand with like kind of jumpiness and the cause like the different types of rhythm patterns that I don't know where the hell they came from, but they're weird. And a lot of my earlier songs would shift time signatures by like, it would be like three measures of this and then four measures of a different time signature. And then it would only be in that one spot. Yeah. I've, I've noticed that with myself too. And that's interesting. You brought that up. I've been kind of challenging myself, at least vocally. I've talked about this a few times to kind of write outside of my vocal box because exactly with what you're talking about, you've got a specific kind of strumming style. When I hear riffs, I have a certain kind of vocal beat that I kind of fall back into. And it's like, I'm trying to find ways I can break away from that, maybe extend the line a little bit, or you know what? I don't have to be quite as wordy with it. You know, the fast yep. song can actually have slower words going with it, you know? And that's, that's the thing I've been kind of struggling. And that's with. a debate that we can go into where you can make the argument, is that a guitar player thing as opposed to like what, how a drummer writes and or I would be, like a real bass player writes or something like that? I'd be curious to actually know with you too, because I, with Satanic Panic, you actually do the vocals with this band. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that your first time doing vocals in a band? And how is that different than playing like in, say, Gunpowder or the previous bands? So I, I did vocals on a couple of songs in previous bands, mm-hmm. but I've always just been more like, I don't want to sing. I don't even want to do backup vocals. I just want to play guitar. Yeah. So um, for me, it was a huge learning process. Like that's where, like you said, you had that certain thing you do with your vocals and your strumming. For me, it was a mechanism of having to learn to sing and play guitar. Like I was absolute garbage at it. And like I have I have certain thoughts about my detour from like 2014 to 2017 where I I split my my songwriting between rock and roll and I guess what would be called alternative country. Right. <clears throat> like stuff like drive by truckers and things like that. Oh, oh I do, yeah. yeah. I, I do that too. I play in a country band. So I feel you. <laughs> so like, I, I, I mean, I have my own thoughts about like watering down my songwriting and stuff, but it did do one thing is it taught me how to play and sing. Mm. And 
I'm still, I'm still learning. I'm still getting better at figuring out more complex parts to play while I sing it. But that is definitely difficult because you want to, you, you wind up falling into the tendency that your vocal pattern, you want to match that with your strumming. Yep. It's, it's almost like the drummer thing. It's like when you exactly. got a certain kind of rhythm going with the right hand, you want to fall into a certain rhythm with the left and on your foot. It's like, you have to consciously think to not do that. And, and I ran into the same thing, man. When I first started out, it was horrible trying to get those two to kind of match up. And now I've kind of gotten to the point. And honestly, it came from playing covers. I play, it came from mm-hmm. playing and singing covers more instead of just learning the guitar bits. I started learning the vocal some and started singing when I started playing it. And it kind of forced me to get practicing those strumming patterns and vocal patterns a little differently. But I've always struggled with thinking of different guitar riffs and vocal patterns to do. It's like I hear stuff I like and go, man, I love that. I wish I could write that. I just, I'm, I'm not that talented. My brain doesn't go there. Yeah, I'm I'm struggling with a similar thing with some of the new stuff we have right now is I'm working on like, okay, how do I be different like mm-hmm. and creative from even just for myself? Because I get I get bored and I have that that stupid chip on my shoulder be like, I have to be different. I can't be right. the same thing. If it's I if I stop moving, I die. <laughs> it's easy to get trapped in that too, especially in with the if you have like say a keyboard available or like a bass guitar or something like that too. Mm-hmm. And actually, talking on songwriting, uh, how much of an influence songwriting was um, have you had on any of the recent Gunpowder material? I I kind of give it's like a feedback role almost because Chris has such a strong vision of what he wants the songs to be. Right. Um, I I end up being a lot of soundboard stuff, especially when I'm down there doing rehearsals. But mm-hmm. it's been a weird year with with Sam having a, a baby. Right. <clears throat> Like we just haven't had a lot of shows. We've been figuring out the drummer situation, things like that. Um, His brother's pretty solid, Chris's. Yeah, but recently, like I think they parted ways since mm-hmm. our last show in November. Okay. Um, yeah. But, that, okay, because that that kind of answers the follow up question, which was going to be, which actually this may be still a good question for you know future uh, for both bands how would you delegate what becomes a gunpowder riff and what becomes a satanic panic riff it's kind of more about feel um okay. the gunpowder stuff is definitely moving in towards of a more like tight rock and roll with the pop edge format mm-hmm. um so like anything that kind of falls into that category i, I shoot over to chris um and then the satanic panic stuff is more just unabashed energy kind right. of just flowing out there. So, I mean, I guess you could, you could, you could describe it in terms of uh, the best way I've been able to parse it out is helicopters versus Imperial state electric, like gotcha. the Imperial state that. style of music, which is, you know, tighter, poppier arrangements would go more towards, I would shoot over to Chris and if he liked it, we'd run with it. But like the things that are a little more blown out and a little more raw and dirty and extended. And Mm -hmm. they would go more in the satanic panic stuff because uh, gunpowder is like you said, it's a lean, mean rock and roll machine where satanic panic has some things that go towards, like you think about motorhead as, as ACE of space, but they also had songs like, like Capricorn and things like that where like they're more spacey jams that came from Lemmy's days in uh, Hawkwind. So mm-hmm. they got some more of the psychedelic stuff in there. And that's 
that's what I like to do with with uh, Satanic Panic, and I don't know who said it, but somebody on our first like three day run, they're like, "Oh, it was it was Micah Micah Morris from Fast Eddie." Yeah, he said this is. He's like, I can tell this is a lead guitar player's band because they're written like right. it's about the riff, it's about the lead, it's not vocal first. Like the vocals obviously get built later on in the stage. And I took that as a huge compliment because then it kind of compares myself to to some of my my Swedish heroes like uh, like Strings when he did his solo stuff in uh, Thunder Express and Dunder Target, and then Robert Person Humbucker things like God, that. <clears throat> I have been digging into him hard lately, like nonstop listening kind of shit. Yeah. And, and then another band like, uh, James, you were, you, you call it out the wild hearts. Like yeah. I love ginger wild heart. And he's, you can totally tell that his shit's written guitar first vocals later. Right. Like all of the, the unabashed key changes and the weird funky changes that come oh, out. Yeah. Of nowhere. Definitely a guitar player's band, but he had that, that Beatles thing going on too that made him um, add so many like hooks and his like uh, choruses and things like that too, where everything yep. almost had like a Green Day feel to it because of how the band was set up lyrically, mm -hmm. I think. But like, man, I always find myself striving past the three piece, the three piece uh, setup with with Satanic Panic. Like mm -hmm. some of our tunes late, lately, later ones are coming out like early 70s Scorpions jams. So you're just oh, writing wow. second guitar parts and stuff like that too? Yeah. Because like, Are you guys I've, considering putting another guitarist in? It's always an open option. Like right. I've I've had I've had friends offer up to play live shows with us. Like uh, another Chris from from Mama was like one oh, day yeah. after our show, he's like, dude, I want to play guitar with you guys if you ever consider it. Things like that. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. Actually, but, it, but that, that has to make you feel pretty good, though, too, because, you know, it, it feels like kind of through this conversation, you know, Satanic Panic is kind of the first band that you can kind of, you know, kind of wear and go, you know, this is my band kind of thing. And then to have people kind of go, dude, I want to play in your band. And they're hearing the songs that you, you know, kind of held on to for a while and finally put into a final form. You know, it exactly. has to feel pretty good, you know, at least gratifying. Oh, for sure. And it, it kind of gives me like that control of going after the songs that I really want to write. Gunpowder gives me that freedom to be a lead guitar player, but sometimes I want to do more of a ZZ top molding of the songs and kind of right. go into the weird, the weirder directions. <clears throat> Just get to do whatever you want. And it sounds like Chicago loves their rock and roll and has a lot of people that are like creatively ambitious enough in this style of music to pursue it. Or I guess Chicago provides opportunities for folks like that. At least that's yeah. my perception from seeing the amount of bands that come out of Chicago pursuing this kind of thing. And it's it's kind of like you, you talked about how getting down to Atlanta opened up a bunch of doors. And funnily enough, playing the Down South Showdowns and everything actually opened up a lot of connections in Chicago. Like, I've always kind of floated around in the weird metal scene, but then going to Down South Showdown and meeting meeting the guys in Mama Mm -hmm. And then criminal so kids. Okay. So you didn't know any of these people beforehand. Correct. I didn't yeah, know. So it seems like you were kind of meeting everyone at about the same time we were then. That's kind of crazy. Cause it, yeah. it really felt like you had already been so welcomed into the scene that you had just kind of been a part of things for so long. Like in a, in a city big as big as Chicago, like it's easy to, to be like two ships passing in the night. Like you've run into each other, but you never, 
like know what they're doing. Right. And there were so many bands that, that are like that. And there's probably so many scenes too. Am I right? Yeah. Like it's super fractured. Like I remember being, I was at a guar show with, with Bob from Bloomington and um, Savage Master. I was talking with those dudes and talking about how the Chicago music scene is super fractured. There's every single genre you could look for and want. Mm-hmm. But then like, it's really tough to get people to support and have a unified scene, which yeah, is something, not a lot of crossover, which is something I hugely admire about places like Atlanta and Houston and everything. Like there's a really strong scene that everybody goes to support instead of kind of fracturing off into their own tiny little groups. Right. But it feels like Atlanta, anytime there's like a big, like say a, a showdown or a biter show or something like that, that seems to like have uh, people come from all across the nation that are in this kind of music. And that seems to, uh, my, or at least from my perception, it kind of shows that like every town has their one or two bands that they really like yep. in every town, but they all have like their destination spots. And Atlanta is one, Chicago is kind of becoming another. Y'all just had a uh, festival up there too with all these, with this kind of music, didn't you? Yeah, another uh, Chase Tail event. Right. It was, it was, uh, it was crazy, awesome. Three days. Oh, I bet, man. <laughs> so Chicago's kind of like, uh, kind of taking the taking the same uh, ideas that Atlanta's doing is trying to and trying to build a scene up there through uh, similar sounding bands and things like that. Yeah, because like a lot of the the rock has drifted more towards like the softer spoken indie indie rock and everything is what's huge. Yeah. That's how it is in Charlotte too. For at least like, as, as far as like a uh, bar and grill joints and stuff. Like noise punk was a big thing. There's, there's great bands like meat wave and twin peaks and everything that I just, there's just something about them. I don't really like, but they're mm-hmm. huge. They're huge here. And they're, they're carrying the torch of the rock and roll scene. Like I've somewhat condescendingly kind of called it like hipster punk. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's everywhere though. It's those like art kids. There are, there are a lot of imitators of the meat waves and twin peaks that are just like art kids that just want to make the, the weird noisy music. Yeah. Which is just, isn't my, isn't my speed. I want loud guitars and, and <laughs> you want melody. You want something stuff. to hold on to. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons I never really drifted down metal too much, especially stuff like, you know, the current like hardcore metalcore stuff like that. Oh, it's, yeah. You know, people talk about even, oh, this is like melodic metalcore. It's like it's still the backing track of it still just sounds like a bunch of machine guns going off. You know, it's like I don't care if there's, you know, harmony guitars on top of that. The background still just sounds like a mess. And it's it's hard for me to latch onto it. If you like it, that's fine. But just talking about personal taste, that's yeah. that's something I've never really been able to latch onto, at least for me personally. In, in all honesty, though, like I would, I would say I dislike it for a different reason. Like saying that the background is too perfect. Like they have, that, their, yeah, yeah. Well, that's kind of what I mean by a machine gun kind of sound. It's like a machine yeah. gun has a certain kind of you know rhythm. You know, it doesn't really go. Everything sounds so melodined and auto tuned, and you know exact. One two one two one two one two. Yeah, because some of my my favorite records come from like the old school Sweden death metal, where it's basically Motorhead played three times as fast, <laughs> <laughs> same tones and stuff like that. The uh, the buzzsaw guitar that came uh-huh. from bands like Entombed. Like if you if you haven't listened to it, like go listen to Death Breath and that stuff. It's got Robert Person and Nick Anderson and everything, rock and no roll and all of that. Yeah, it's a death metal yeah, he band. He played drums. Word. No, I have to definitely check that out. 
It's just old school Swedish death metal, and it's it's so awesome. I haven't gone down like a a serious death metal rabbit hole yet. For some reason, I went down like a black metal one for a minute just because I was reading up on all the lore and shit, just because it's <laughs> fascinating. Yeah, that, that might be the one band I can finally sit down and listen to since I've been loving on Robert Person so much. That would be like the one giveaway. It's like, I'm not even a big rap fan, but I'll still turn up like the dwarves mm-hmm. rap songs <laughs> because, it's, <laughs> because it's black rapping. It's like, it's even though it's still not my favorite thing, it's like, I can still get down to it a little bit. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, that that might be my entrance to it where I'm just like, it's Robert playing. It's Robert playing. He's, he's a fucking great guitarist. Just listen to it. <laughs> Black's got bars though. Black has bars. <laughs> <laughs> like seriously though, one of my favorite, uh, disses ever actually comes from a dwarf song. He was, uh, I think the song's called massacre. And there's this whole line in it where he's just, he, the whole song basically is just a rip on, um, just shitting on Queens of the stone age. Yeah. Cause Nick Oliveri joined the dwarves shortly after songs, uh, <laughs> Uh, songs for the deaf yeah and, Bla- and blag is actually the radio guy right before that song where he's like hey mm-hmm. this is kit casper coming at you that's blag from the dwarves so in that <laughs> song he reprises that role and he goes hey this is kit casper coming at you with another primetime payback he's like this one goes out to queens of the tw- trust fund you slept on my floors now i'm sleeping through your motherfucking records oh wow <laughs> beef <laughs> And you wonder That's if Josh Homme okay. has any comments on it, or he's just like, I'm on Oh, my no, they, they shared fisticuffs. Oh, I didn't hear about that. Oh, I yeah. Didn't hear about that. Oh, yeah. Black, black that, that got, I think Pretty they're heated. okay now, but yeah, it got heated for a good few years. Interesting. Right. Well, Every, the more I hear about Josh Homme, the more I, I like, he seems like the guy that would just like get pissed off or piss other people off, and then they'd fight and be friends. We yeah. kicked that one dude in the audience like a couple years ago and caught a lot of heat for it. Yeah. It just seems like a tool sometimes and seems pretty chill the next. I don't get it. Yeah, it's pretty odd. Well, man, do you have anything coming up soon for Satanic Panic? Because I know that you've been writing, and even though you haven't been able to get together as the collective, which I know helps, you know, I'm Mm -hmm. sure you've still got more than three songs. (laughs) Yeah. Well, hopefully, we're going to reconvene with some rehearsal at some point. I'm busy working on writing lyrics. Um, then as soon as we can, I'm going to start talking to to Bob and the recording studio we are going to go to and see when they feel things are going to be comfortable to set up some time and then probably go and record a single and then look into build a tour, hopefully around that July date at the rim right. and kind of do the, the East coast run that we were attempting to do because I want to get, I want to get down to Atlanta and get out east and then up to New York City. Yeah. So I got all these friends that want to see us play and I want to play with them. And mm-hmm. it's a bummer that we lost all those shows. No, no, <clears> I want to, I'll make sure uh, I'll get a hit up my folks down here and get you set up with a show if y'all wind up doing that too. Yeah, definitely keep us updated on that. Well, oh yeah, we're we're itching to play too, man. So so we're we're about to be whoring ourselves to fucking everyone. It's like usually I'm not yeah. that guy. I always feel weird just reaching out to bands, going put us on shows, put us on shows. That's like, <laughs> I, it's like usually as soon as a band comes to me, I'm just like, yes, that's fine. Yes, you want to play with us? I, I will make something happen. Yes, but it's like after all this shit's up, I'm hitting up everyone in my role. The deck's yep. going, let's do shows. <laughs> let's do a tour. Fuck it. So like for the time being, I'm going to try and like go back to that EP and see if we can get some, some sort of like public domain 
based music video going or something just to like refresh everything and put it out there. Cause you know, it's kind of getting back to the point where everybody needs a video again, mm -hmm. man. That's why I wish I didn't have my fucking nine to five is that what you just said right there is what I'm trying to do. I've got the good enough DIY equipment to shoot video and I can mm -hmm. edit it together, especially for what I'm sure you guys would want to do, which is basic live recording stuff with maybe a little bit of cuts here and there of, you know, B roll yeah. or fucking around, dude, that's my bread and butter. I can whip that out in like two weeks tops. It's like, I wish <laughs> I had the money and the time to be able to be like, I'm your fucking man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But no, man, it's, especially if you guys have iPhones and shit, you can record that stuff and make it look fucking good. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what we've done with all of our stuff. And it's like, even recently I got the newest one where it's got like the 4k oh, the fancy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And He's it's a like, wizard with that shit. and that's the reason I even did the upgrade. Is it because, you know, Oh, I want the latest, greatest phone. I couldn't give a shit about that, but it's like with all the DIY stuff we do, I see this as okay. Not only did I get an upgrade to my phone, but I just got us a brand new camera to do a bunch of new yep. filming with. So if you guys have good cameras like that, just hand it to a buddy and be like, make us look good, hold it still and make us look good. Stitch it together in a little program. So I want to go I'm, on YouTube. So I want to go on YouTube and when I search satanic panic, I want it to be something other than the West Memphis three or something like that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like we haven't put up anything yet and I just want to get, I want to get something out there. Like we don't have much live footage. We don't have much of anything like that. We're still kind of like very much flying. Like, just under the radar we're, we're doing the if you watch this easy top documentary I saw that was on netflix ago, like yeah how they were like weren't supposed to do any public appearances except for their shows <laughs> like that's kind of what it is right now because i mean i do marketing for a living it's tough to sit in the same chair and continue to do marketing at and some like, point how do you and it's, it's hard to figure out how do you sell a rock and roll band in 2020 and trying to uh crack that code exactly and plus with the marketing thing, it's like, even though you have a clear cut objective, like, okay, I know I need to do this, this, and this. Sometimes the amount of mental energy it takes though, to put yourself into it, to make it mm -hmm. look good or do good or do what it's supposed to. Sometimes it's just hard to even turn the computer on to get that started. And that's such an odd feeling because it's, it feels like it should be such a non-personal thing, you know? Exactly. So I've, I've, decided mentally to try and work on my recording skills like learn how to yeah. mic an amp and edit stuff in a daw which i'm terrible at i'm just like put a microphone in front of me and i'll play yeah. i'm not very good at tinkering so i've got the equipment now and i'm going to try and learn stuff and learn how to mic learn how to adjust Man, that, and all that stuff that Hell makes you yeah. really happy to hear it, it it seems like every creative i've talked to we've all kind of had the same relative kind of conversation where we went, it was great. I went through a slump, but you know what? Now I'm really digging in and I'm learning something new. Everyone I've talked to is learning something new. And that's mm -hmm. what I've really enjoyed about this. And, and I, I'm even kind of doing the same thing. We're about to upgrade our gear and I'm actually kind of doing the same thing you're wanting to do. Cap and I've been talking about recording an acoustic EP just with yeah. the equipment we've got at home because hell ever since i was 13 i'd just been splicing together favorite song pieces with like radio sound effects in the middle make it sound like i was tuning a radio and yep. every station i tuned into was like my, my favorite part of my favorite songs were playing you know so just doing that shit as a kid even all the way up to today now doing the podcast it's every few years i just kind of 
add a new little tool to the audio repertoire to where it's like this year I'm finally really digging down and learning a bunch of different stuff to the point where who knows, maybe a couple years, we don't even have to worry about going to a studio. Now, all of a sudden I've got enough tools to be like, you know what, for the music we play, it doesn't have to be so fucking polished. And you know what? I'm getting a fucking good sound out of this. Let's start really releasing some music. Exactly. I just want to get to the point where I can demo these crazy ideas in my head and start building them. Because you know what? That also gives everyone else a more clear picture of what you're talking about, especially because sometimes we do have problems communicating. You know, it, it's hard to communicate a, no, 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 the drums are supposed to be a pop, to pop, 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 pop right here. We're guitar players. We don't know time signatures. Exactly. We just kind of like, just pick it up and play. You figure just it out. Listen to my strumming. The, the strumming is the beat. How could you do it right? God. And you, and you get the the back and forth like, no, it's da 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 da, and they're like, "What da 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 da?" And you feel like you're being so clear, and you're like, "No, what are you not understanding?" Kick, snare, kick, kick, snare, and and they 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 play that, but it's robotic, and you're like, "Yeah, but back to the swing we had," mm-hmm. and then it's completely different again. I'm like, "No!" <laughs> In producing the best, uh, that's why I like. I'm for this, these next sets of songs, I am gung ho on actually having a producer around yeah. to like rein me in and offer ideas. Cause I, de- I do tend to be so one single minded on it. And my time working with, with Tuck with gunpowder, when I went down and just even just recording leads, like it was such an eye opening experience to have somebody outside of the band who is still interested in helping it sound its best. Yeah. Who isn't the recording engineer. Like we've always had the recording engineer provide tips, but they're, they're also splitting their brain between, you know, actually making the record sound good from a technical standpoint. So like having another person in the room to be like, Hey, maybe you should try playing it this way. Or, you know, let's try and take out this part or, you know, do something a little bit different is such an interesting experience. And like, I, it, this, it's all kind of stemmed from right around the same time I did that, rec- that record with Tuck that became the, the EP, latest EP for Gunpowder. I went down to Bloomington, Indiana with um, some people like Bob from High Spirits, uh, this other guy, Jared, from a band called Seamstress, but he also plays in High Spirits sometimes, and Professor wow. Black, like a bunch of dudes from that, those same couple of bands. And we knocked out like a four song EP in. For just shy of 48 hours like we got all the principal recording done it it didn't amount to anything but like just working with with bob mm-hmm. made me realize like having a producer and somebody who's got the same rock and roll mind and is willing to help out i guess that's that's the important thing because we actually struggled with that to the point where this album was probably the first one that was without a producer for the mm-hmm. opposite reasons is we had been working with a producer, but it didn't really feel like he was on the same page as us. But oh, at, the yeah. same, at the same time, his studio was one of the least expensive around and he was a friend and everything else. So it's like, we wanted to give friend money and, you know, it was good location. We liked what he was doing. So enough, you know, it was enough to deal with to the point where though, when we got to this album, we were like, we've got a very clear vision. Like yep. we, we've worked hard on this kind of thing. And <clears throat> when we got in there, he didn't like that. We had a lot more of a clear vision and a lot more mm. of a, let's do this this time around. 
but I got a taste of that by the time the mixing came around because he kind of stepped away from the mixing aspect and we pulled in someone that completely knew to help us mix. Mm -hmm. And when he was helping mix, some of the stuff came up and he just kind of looked at me and goes, I know you, you're not happy with that, are you? It's like, no, not at all. He goes, get, get back in there and do that again. And it's like, exactly. we, we, we retract about half of my vocals and a little guitar piece simply because, you know, just where it was heading with where it was going just wasn't that great. But he was finally on that page with us and went, Oh, I hear what you're doing. That's, this isn't what you want. Go, go do it again. <laughs> so I'm actually exactly. really looking forward to these next set of songs to work with someone that definitely is on the same page as us to see where this goes. Cause he was kind of like the first guy he mentioned was like what you said. He was basically just a, a really good engineer. Yes. But didn't know how to be objective with our style of music. Yeah. Exactly. He, he like came that. from a metal background, loves dime bag, you know, that sort of stuff, which is fantastic. It's just, we're not a metal band. So mm -hmm. the, that sort of input and emotion, you know, just really didn't jive with some of the stuff that we were wanting to write, kind of breaking away from being a punk band, kind of writing kind of exactly what you're saying with gunpowder, maybe a little bit more power rock, power pop rock kind of thing. Yep. You know, adding a little bit more Thin Lizzy influence or a little more New York Dolls. The bells so, and whistles too. That's just just fun. Yeah, and and he's a very brash metal guy. So when we were like, "Hey, we want to put twelve strings and acoustics on this record," he immediately yeah. kind of bristled and was like, "What?" <laughs> the other thing I'm looking forward to doing, uh, other than having a producer come in, is actually spending time to like to record the record. Like everything I've ever done has always just been, "All right, we have a thousand dollars and three days." So we're going to like knock this out. So like the EP was done in two days. But it felt like it was rushed to a point. Well, there was like, yeah, a little bit just in terms of like experimentation. Like I want to experiment with different amp sounds. Like for this, the last Satanic Panic EP, I just, we just stuck a microphone in front of my Marshall half stack and that was it. Like but we didn't. But as a guitar player, you want to be like, oh, I want to try a, well, maybe if uh kind of bored with the humbucker tone let's try a, a p90 tone or let's try a strat tone or like what exactly. colors can we put on these songs and things like that i got a little bit of that in by i got a little five watt marshall that we threw on there and i have that uh wilshire with the mini humbuckers that i threw in as another another thing but definitely i'm like i'm starting to collect guitars like i'm p90 guitars next on the list dude the one i got from uh, black cat that i put on my junior is the tits I know I'm I'm kicking around getting a set of his PAFs for my Flying V just to have something different and then eventually getting a, a Les Paul Jr. and SG Jr. or something like that just to have a P90 in the mix. Yeah, just something you can like put on top of your Les Paul like rift uh, rhythm tones or something like that in the studio, right? Yep. And then I'm also experimenting lately with, with fuzz and everything because my really good friend, he's he builds daredevil pedals and he's a fuzz right. guy i follow him online so, too and i see all his stuff like i just picked up this this uh real cool fuzz which is like a, a an approximation of the the stooges tone from the first the no first two shit. records Ooh, it's like nasty super nasty fuzz and i just am trying to learn how to use it that's have, awesome have you thought about doing some of those instagram like riff video kind of things where it's like you just sit down with the song kind of like what cap's doing yeah, I'm. I've been kicking that around. Like I, I did it for like the first week of quarantine when I would be drinking beers and just you know drunk riffs, yeah, yeah. kind of thing. But now I like, I just ran out of time and I was just like, I'm not learning 
anything new and I don't want to just keep playing the same helicopters riffs over and over. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's hard for me to get out of that box too. It's like I try, but then I start writing something where it's like, oh, it's in that box too again, isn't it? Fuck. Mm-hmm. Well, now I got a keyboard. Let's try something different. <laughs> yeah. For me, um, I, w- I always kind of grew up as a uh, punk guitarist. Uh, so one of the things I've been doing since in the fillings, I'm a little bit more of just rhythm and everything mm-hmm. else. I pulled from my number one favorite band, Kiss, and I started paying a lot more to what Paul does during his riffs because oh, I yeah. always paid attention to Ace because he was always my number one favorite growing up. You know, his fucking amazing riffs, smoking guitar. I loved his makeup design. But growing up, I've slowly started going like, um, I'm a bit more of a Paul guy. I really like his songs. I like his songwriting style. I like his vocal, everything else, his, his attitude on stage, you know, all that. So I started mm-hmm. digging into his 78 solo record and learning stuff like it's all right. Because that, because this is that's an awesome riff, and I'm just like, you know what? I don't know how to play that, you know. So I want to figure out what his writing style is to get to a riff like that. Yeah, and that's I've been digging into a lot of uh, '70s and '80s power, like pop punk, power punk, things like that. Mm-hmm. Like I've I'm constantly like getting suggestions from Ryan of Criminal Kids. Be like, he's like, listen to this stuff, listen to this stuff. Like, listen to 2020 and. Uh, a couple of other bands from the late seventies that all have that fucking good too. Yeah. That all have that like really s- kind of tight power rock, power pop rock. Yeah. I've been, that's just something that completely too. different because usually I'm just way out there with the, the crazy blown out mixture of like blues and stoner rock and big epic rock and roll of, you know, guns and roses and even ZZ top even like, a lot say, of people. I, I'm talking about ZZ Top a lot on this this podcast, but like no, because because you're a lead guitar player. Lead guitar players like look, I grew up playing this kind of stuff too, and I was like learning to play guitar like the Leonard Skinners and the Molly Hatchets yep. and ZZ Tops of the world, and that all was on the same radio stations and everything too. So you have that barrage of just great mm-hmm. guitar tones, and I can't I can't understate how much I love the album Trace Ombres. Trace Ombres is so fucking good. Like just outside of like everybody knows Lagrange. But you yeah. dig into the more psychedelic trips that they go on in that album, and it's just insane. Precious, is Precious and Grace on that album? I can't remember. Yep. That's right. Precious and Grace, and one of my all-time favorites, is Master of Sparks. That's the one with like dun 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 dun. Yeah, dun, that really weird funky riff. It just kind of goes off in that direction, and I'm I've been such a fan of those weird psychedelic rock and roll metal trips that happen in stuff that like I never paid attention to like figuring out working out different chords in the same kind of keys and just moving them around that really strong and stripped down rock and roll has like, especially mm-hmm. the, the, the later, I don't know what would be second wave of punk or something, but like the really tight 2020 cheap tricks, things like that. Yeah. The police even to a point to an extent. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's that's been kind of interesting. It feels like a lot more people have been digging back into that. I wonder what's kind of caused that because because that's even started tickling my fancy a little bit more, especially inspiring me songwriting wise. I think there's like this bigger, especially with some of the rock and roll people. There's been a larger emphasis on songwriting recently. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you're right. There's like the the waves. It's kind of a similar wave as the the end of the 80s and when nirvana came around like Mm -hmm. there was a big emphasis of going back to basics of songwriting right i mean 
if you, you can see it in the country side of the world, like yeah. all of these alternative country superstars are now starting to break out into the mainstream. Like you got your Jason Isbels and guys Tom like Childers. that. Yeah. That it's Sturgill Simpson that focused mm -hmm. on just really good songwriting and not cheap popular riffs that, you know, that kind of plague just can, can plague straight up rock and roll. Right. Yeah. But the, but the songs pop more than anything too. And people forget about that when putting rock bands together, like in the past couple of years, there's been a zillion Led Zeppelin copycat bands. Yep. Like if I'm sorry, if you like the Greta Van Fleet's the dirty honeys of the world, they just sound exactly like Led Zeppelin. Nope. To me. <laughs> nope. I'm, I'm not, a, I, I barely like Led Zeppelin enough to listen to Led Zeppelin. <laughs> and, and, that, and it ruins Led Zeppelin for me too, because they're one of my favorite bands, but there's been a zillion copycat bands for the last 20 years that kind of ruin them for me. Yeah, if, if I have to pick a band to listen to, and I know some people don't like it, but I, I'm going to go with Faces if I have to listen to like a bluesy Dude. 70s rock band. Like the Mata Hoopals and shit like that, yep. which is good. The glam, solid glam blues, rock. blues based glam rock kind of shit. I love it. I wonder what uh, causes a band to kind of cross into that threshold of like, you know, so so bands can, can come out and sound like the Ramones and no one really bats an eye at it. You know, it's like, oh, it's just another Ramones sounding punk band. I wonder what kind of crosses over when, you know, like Greta Van Fleet comes out and they're so inspired by, you know, Led Zeppelin that causes people to bristle. You know what I think it is? Yeah. I think, I think it's because like Led Zeppelin was never like defined as a songwriter's band. They, had, they were more defined by their sound and their look and their kind of vibe as, you know, one of the heavier, the first successful, heavier sounding band. And it was all determined by a sound. And a lot of people tried to emulate that sound. Yeah. I, I also think it has something to do with a void in the market. Like you look at a Ramones type band, there's always been the straight ahead one, two, three, four kind of three chord power punk. Yeah. But like ever since 1980 when Led Zeppelin hung it up, there's never been a band that could quite do it. So any band that has that kind of vibe immediately skyrockets to the top. Like another example of that Led Zeppelin type specific situation I can think of is the band, which I think is vastly better than Greta Van Fleet and Dirty Honey right. <laughs> is uh, Rival Sons. Like they fit that right. certain type of Led Zeppelin's swingy blues rock and, and they, they shot the up. And they had the songs too. Yeah, they had the songs to back it up that weren't just unabashed copies of Led Zeppelin. Yeah, and that guy can fucking sing his ass off too. Yeah, and, 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 like and the me, guitar player's a weirdo too. He takes on, he not just retreads the Jimmy Page ground, he takes it in a different direction. Oh yeah, especially with that new record with like all the little like uh, fuzz tricks and shit like that too. Yeah. Yeah, the one band for me that kind of gets a pass that kind of people turn their nose at a little bit is Airborne, being a little bit of an ACDC dc Oh, yeah. That, that's, that's one of the few bands for me that gets a pass because, again, they've got the songs to back it up. ACDC is another one of those with exactly. a zillion copycat bands. Airborne just kind of yeah. has like a harder like stomp to it, I think. Like Airborne and then Jet got the same kind of rap yeah. for that, but they shot right up to the top. I don't understand I, I think, the hate for Jet. I, I I like the couple songs that Jet was kind of known for. It's like, yeah, it was very derivative, but at the same time, it was it was fitting for the time almost. It was just good rock and roll. And in two thousands, had guitar solos and had energy. It wasn't just a kind of compressed 
sandwich of a you know yeah. new metal tones yeah it's like if you want to take a step back yeah it's just it's lust for life rewritten but again look at every context is key you know look at everything else on the radio right then you are happy to hear do you want to be my exactly. girl <laughs> and that's why we're all and, focusing and on songs because we don't want to be derivative <laughs> And you definitely want to pick up something that is going to resonate with with your audience. And I mean, that's why, in in a our opinion, like shitty bands hang around. Yeah. Like, like bands that don't like Greta Van Fleet. The reason they're doing so well is because they fill the void that people like. Yeah. And it's it's tough. Yeah, and and it, and it is kind of interesting you said that because especially when you put it in perspective of when Led Zeppelin hung it up in the '80s. As soon as that happened, that's when hair metal happened. So mm-hmm. there just wasn't any room for that. And then when hair metal died, grunge immediately took over. So again, there was no room for that. I guess only now there's room for that Led Zeppelin rock again. And maybe that's yeah. why it kind of raised hairs. Because again, exactly what you guys were saying is, you know, Ramon's kind of self is a bit more mimicked throughout the years. This is maybe the first time a band like that's kind of stepped forward and really worn them on their sleeve. So exactly. It was pretty interesting. We finally got down to it for like the past year. We keep bringing it up every so often. It, it took us a year to get to that point. We figured yeah. it out. We're fucking geniuses. <laughs> That's what you get on the Something Good For You podcast, folks. <laughs> you eventually get the payoff a year later. <laughs> right. Well, man, especially because we've been digging into music, I think it's time for us to glorify a little bit more and dig on into our Spotify playlist and figure out what the hell we've been listening to. What you listening to, son? I don't think you like it. Well, why not? I like this new generation of music. (laughs) Where did you record this? I bought it at the mall. What that person on your tape has is a medical disorder. All right, Captain, what the hell have you been listening to? You want to talk about, we were talking about um, pop music meeting uh, really great guitar rock and making like really cohesive songs out of it. There's some sneaky good tunes on this Blue Oyster Cult album, Fire of Unknown Origin. Oh, yeah. That whole way through, it's just like it's borderline 80s pop, but there's enough, you know, orchestration and heavy guitar parts that just make it really fucking cool especially psychic <laughs> wars <laughs> yeah heavy metal black and silver that's a little dated but still fun <laughs> but it's also i think the big hit on it's uh burning for you like i'm burning i'm burning. yeah it's hokey as hell but it's still like you know cool shit oh yeah no that's, that's definitely a classic oh yeah that and the new wildlife shit but that's probably going to be my next few episodes <laughs> yeah what have, what have I, yeah what that, that was just to? a given we all three agree new wildlife fucking kicked ass so. that's gonna that? be making waves for a little bit I think. yeah I especially so. especially their departure from their normal sound and writing on the last tune of the album yeah yeah, the the last two records have definitely been my favorites so far. This so. one's up there as far as like some of the best work they've done, I think. Yeah, the the, the first song is still my favorite, the Deathbed. As soon as mm-hmm. that came on, I was like, "Holy fuck, this yep. is this is fucking amazing." <laughs> so they were like, "All right, my day's gonna be better now." <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so aside from uh, all three of us agreeing that everyone needs to go ahead and check out that record, Brad, what else have you been listening to? Oh man, I this has been an obsession that I've been spreading the past couple of years. Um, there's this band out of, no surprise, Sweden called the Dommers. Ooh, okay. okay. I like and the name already. They they do this weird mixture of, like, think of if a, a a rock band 
scored your favorite 80s slasher flicks and they played oh, it on shit. tv yes. but like the 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 top ones that are like there's the song called cut me down which is the first track off of their second album mm-hmm. um and rat boy it's just straight ahead kind of punk rock with a horror theme to it and the riffs mm-hmm. are great the solos are great it throws in it's not like I say horror rock, and you think immediately think Misfits. No, it's more like Thin Lizzy, but singing about murderers and stuff. Oh fuck yeah! Oh, that sounds amazing, it's, dude. Yeah, like I've spread the love of this band so much, and like the other big fans in the states are the Boys and Fast Eddie. Like they love this this band, and like anybody Word. should check them out. You know um, who would wind up loving them? Jared. I was about to say it sounds like some body bags. <laughs> sounds up there, Alan. Yeah, yeah, our buddies in uh, the body bags who are on Hobo Wolfman Records, who is also yeah. based out of Cincinnati. Who Chicago? Well, Cincinnati, uh, Chicago. Good God, <laughs> been a fucking long week, man. Chicago, and um, which you guys are on our the compilation record with us on that one. Hell Lost yeah, comps are bastards. Buy that shit. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Jared, who's in the body bags, he used to play drums for us. Uh, he he loves that kind of horror rock stuff, but it's been also a huge fan of like fast eddie wildlife all that so that sounds like that mm-hmm. would fall right into what he likes and then another song that i or another band that i've obs- obsessing over mm-hmm. a little bit um is this band called the good the bad and the zugly <laughs> zugly yes okay. uh they they're kind of like a more like mix mix like hardcore punk if you think of the band zeke yeah, yeah, or, yeah. An, or annihilation time they kind of fit that kind of mold of punk hardcore punk rock right but it's a little more melodic their latest album is all about the dangers of corporate rock and things like that and it's nice. such a there's such a nihilistic and nihilistic vibe to everything that they do and it's it's so good um and funnily enough the singer of that band is now the front man of Caveller talk which is like one of the best metal bands out there right and has Hell been yeah. for a while Fuck yeah, dude. No, those are solid-ass choices. I've been actually needing something new to listen to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you can't go wrong with those. And they both, like, both the Dahmers and Good, Bad, Zugly have, like, three, four albums each. Excellent. Fuck yeah. Good stuff to dig into. Because I've actually been digging through, finding stuff I haven't listened to in a while. And for me, um, kind of poking at um, our buddy Tyler Reese on uh, Facebook Uh. um, with Velvet Revolver, put me back down the slash rabbit hole and I've been yep. revisiting uh, apocalyptic love uh, the past few days. That's probably my favorite one of his uh, solid albums. Yeah. And um, the band I was in, I wasn't an official member, but uh, the band I was in at the time, we actually got to open uh, for slash on that tour. And oh, that's fantastic. And God, that was still one of the best theater shows I've seen in my life. And it, it was for this record. And that's probably one of the reasons it's still my favorite. Cause his last one that came out is also solid. Uh, but apocalyptic love i mean one last thrill that sounds mm-hmm. like if the sex pistols wrote a hard rock song yep <laughs> it is nasally like that isn't it, it is <laughs> it, it, miles kennedy hits that nasally john lydon sarcastic snotty vocal tone and it's so fucking cool <laughs> and i also like the the guitar tones on that like it's yes. so it's so loose and it sounds live where mm-hmm. like slash has always been known for super tight tight rhythm guitar sounds but on that album it's it's it seems bigger and wider and kind of a little more fuzzed out almost yeah that's probably why i like it more than the rest of them because i've seen there's a doc online of them making that record and it sounds like it was more like loose in the room kind of deal 
I mean, yeah. and even even songs that I typically don't like the style that they played, <laughs> I like on this record, like Anastasia. Typically, I don't like a song that's kind of structured like that. But yeah. That, but that song is amazing. That's still one of my probably top three favorites on the record. Yeah, it just plays as a Sweet Child of Mine or a classical sound like Sweet Child of Mine sound and riff. And yeah, it's like Sweet Child of Mine, like if a new age rocker were to play it almost. Yeah. And, and then it turns into a stripper riff. Yeah. <laughs> but and, and that's the reason I kind of didn't fall for it immediately because I'm not a new rock kind of guy it's like if you mm-hmm. like it fine whatever not really my jam and it took me a minute to warm up to it but once it like fully kicked in and i heard like that long ass solo jam session near the end i'm like oh i kind of feel this now and also i noticed a lot more kiss influence on that record because i know their bassist uh and drummer has played in some kiss solo project bands before like the gene and ace band yeah um, that it definitely has that strut in mm-hmm. kind of that, that style. And um, if you think about it with Anastasia, with the way the song is built with the acoustic intro leading into that heavy riff, it's rock bottom. Yep. And it, for me, that song has always been super attractive because I have uh, a mild obsession with flamenco guitar. Mm, and yeah. it has, it moves through the chords like that. It doesn't move through your typical kind of pop or blues progression. It actually follows an old flamenco kind of style of things. Yeah. And like, Pulling back to the Velvet Revolver, I was on that thread with uh, your buddy, yeah. and I was playing up the song "American Man," and like Slash, throughout his career, has has peppered in those kind of flamenco and Spanish style music parts, and I I've, I've loved it every single one of them. Like goes all the way back to uh, Double Talk and Jive on yeah. "Use Your Illusion," and I think there's one. There's got to be one on his uh, Snake Pit albums. But then yeah. he really let, leaned into it on these solo things, and I I love it. I love that stuff. That that har. I think it's like uh, harmonic minor scale that's played a certain way over the chords, and it just gets me every single time. Oh yeah, man. Well, Best dude, I can do is El Paso, Marty <laughs> Robbins. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, this has been a fun as hell episode. It's been awesome being able to catch up with you again. It's been way too damn long. Hell yeah. yeah. Dude. I can't wait to, I hope Rim Rocks happens and we hope we get a uh, tours booked where can uh, get you down to Charlotte and we want to come up to Chicago for sure. Definitely. Hell yeah, but it was great talking to you dudes. Excellent. Well, man, uh, if anyone else out here is listening, if you're new a listener, definitely hit that subscribe button. You can follow us on any of the social medias. Links will be in the episode description. Definitely check out Satanic Panic. They'll be at the end of this episode. And Capsi, you have a fucking outro for us. Yes, support your gear companies, Black Cat Guitars and Daredevil Pedals. <laughs> Not Ooh. a sponsor. Yes. I, <laughs> I, I fully endorse both of those companies as an artist as well. <laughs>
and sponsor uh, us, damn it. <laughs> I mean, Daredevil just launched a brand new pedal earlier this month that I absolutely love called the hype pedal. I mean, it knocked my boost. It knocked the boost that I've used for 15 years off my pedal board. Dude, we, you'll need to do an Instagram video of it. <laughs> I'm, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Do they do any uh, just regular boosts? Like, it's going to sound really weird. For I need a boost pedal for the country band because I'm just the stubborn asshole that plays the Dallas back the volume knob and shit like that. It might be the hype pedal because it's, cl- it's a clean boost, but it's got a lot of gain on Thank you for listening. Please insert another coin by supporting the show for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash somethinggoodnetwork.